normal people have sex, and we went to the doctor. That's Kate White. I am a mother, and I would say that's a very defining thing about me. She and her husband, Dave, went through several rounds of IVF, but it's not for the reason you might think. Something that I get, especially from the older generation, that I get a lot is, oh, I knew somebody who had to do that, and then all the rest of their kids were just normal, natural. That's a nice idea, but for us, that's not going to happen. And we don't want that to happen. To conceive, Kate and her husband chose in vitro fertilization with pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. So what that means is that Dave and I are both carriers of cystic fibrosis, or CF. And so we do in vitro, just like any other couple would, except before our embryos are transferred back into the uterus, they can diagnose whether that embryo has cystic fibrosis or not. Her brother has a child with cystic fibrosis. A few years ago, she asked him why he was doing IVF for his children who came after. His answer startled her. And he just said, I never want to have to look at another one of my children who is sick ever again and say, I could have made you healthy, and I didn't. From Bridger Media in Los Angeles, this is Philip Persia Radio, the limited series podcast channel with your host, Layla Jerusalem. We have been married, we're coming up on seven years. Seven years. Mm-hmm. And you have children? Two. My older boy is Maxwell, and he just turned four. And then I have a little girl named Scarlett, and she's almost one. And how's that going? So good. I love parenting a lot more than I ever thought I would. What did you think it would be and what did it turn out to be? I don't know. I thought that it would be, I just worried that I wouldn't have fun with them, I think. I've never been really like a baby person. And I still honestly would say that I'm not a huge baby person. Like some people really need to hold other people's babies. I don't really feel that way. So I was nervous when I was pregnant with our first. What do you do with a baby? I don't know. But then I just, I love them. They're adorable. They're so funny. And I just, I, when I'm not with them, I want to be with them, you know? I mean, don't get me wrong. There are parts (laughs) of parenting that are like lots of nagging and, you know, all of that good stuff. But I love it. So you may not be a baby person, but you're a mommy to Maxwell and Scarlett person. Yes. Tell me about what I know about you, which is that they were conceived through in vitro fertilization. Yes. What we call IVF. Yes. First, can you define what IVF is? IVF is when you collect eggs out of a woman and sperm from a man, obviously, and you combine the two and you make a baby outside of the womb and then they transfer it back. Our IVF is a little bit different. We do in vitro fertilization with pre-implantation genetic diagnosis. So that is why we do in vitro fertilization. And what does that mean? So what that means is that Dave and I are both carriers of cystic fibrosis, or CF. It's a genetic illness that's in the DNA. So it's something that is passed down between generations, you know, down from parent to child. It's not something that would form like a malformation or something within the womb. It's something that 
it's passed through the DNA. And so we do in vitro, just like any other couple would, except before our embryos are transferred back into the uterus, a very small sample is taken from each embryo and sent to a laboratory. And they take those few little cells that they get and they can look all the way in the DNA of those cells. They can diagnose whether that embryo has cystic fibrosis or not. How did you know or discover that you were both carriers? I have a nephew with cystic fibrosis, and that was a huge shock. He was diagnosed at six months, and for the first six months of his life, he was basically failing to thrive and was pretty much dying, and nobody could figure out why. And my sister-in-law is wonderful, and she worked super hard for her young infant child, and she went to four different hospitals in three different states trying to figure out what was wrong with him. And finally, he got the diagnosis of cystic fibrosis. Cystic fibrosis is when your body pretty much, the easiest way to explain it is when your body produces too much mucus and sticks it everywhere within you, in the lungs and in the digestive tract. They have like weakened immune systems. They live right now, the average age is about mid-30s. And most people to achieve that have to have like double lung transplants. And that's how we knew to get tested. And my brother and his wife, they ended up doing IVF with pre-implantation genetic diagnosis to get their twins that they have after my nephew. And so when Dave and I, we were either first married or about to get married, I knew to get tested. And what is the test like. It's just a it's just a blood test. They have lots of genetic testing now where you can do just like a packet of genetic testing and they'll tell you like what you have and what you don't have. And it's really great. I would totally recommend that people do that. And so, yeah, I was a carrier, not like super surprising because it was like 50-50. And then nearing the end of our first year of marriage, we were talking about going off of any sort of birth control. So we needed to double check Dave and his family doesn't have any family history of it. And they were just like, no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Well, my family didn't have any family history until my nephew. So let's just double check. And it was shocking to find out that he was a carrier. So pretty much right then we knew that we would have to do in vitro. When you found that out, did you put the birth control back in? Yeah, because we hadn't stopped birth control, but we definitely knew at that point that we would be on it until otherwise. So what were those early conversations like once you discover that you were both carriers, you knew you had to do this, mm -hmm. and then did it lead to, okay, well, now we have to save tens of thousands of dollars? <laughs> like, what did that be, what did it turn into? So right away, we knew a few things. We knew that we would be doing IVF. We knew that our family was going to be a lot smaller than we had anticipated. We knew that we would need a lot of money that we didn't have. And we knew that the road to children was going to be long. I'm a very religious person. And there was a lot of things in my youth that I felt led up to this. And one conversation I had with my brother, we were alone in his house. It was morning and everybody else was still sleeping. And we were eating breakfast together, cereal. And I love my brother very much. And I think very highly of him you know, he's really fun. Everybody really likes him. And I just remember I asked him because they were going through this process and they had thought very seriously about it. Because we are religious, it gets kind of iffy. Nobody knows, like, is this playing God? So I just remember asking him, so why did you decide to do this? Why are you going through this? And he pointed his finger at me 
And very seriously, I mean, I'll never, I will literally never forget this conversation. And he just said, I never want to have to look at another one of my children who is sick ever again and say, I could have made you healthy. And I didn't. And that just, just stuck with me for so long. And so right away when we got that test back that Dave was a carrier, I mean, there was no question. I was not going to chance it because, you know, we could chance it. And there's only a 25% chance that our child will be sick, which when you think about it, it's not that big. You can try it. But I just, there's just no way. There was no way that I was going to mess with that. I didn't want to be the one to have a sick child because I took the lazy way. That's how it feels to me. And I know lots of people can feel differently, but that's how I feel. And so then you have those conversations. Yeah. You knew what you needed to do. Yeah. And then what happened? We started meeting with different doctors. A lot of people don't know that you can meet with a reproductive endocrinologist. That's what they're called, an infertility doctor. And so you can meet- Endocrinologists are doctors who deal with hormones? Yeah. We met with two or three different ones- We chose the one that we did because her office felt very intimate and the other offices we went to, it felt very factory-like. Get in, get pregnant, get out. Mm -hmm. That's how it felt. And we didn't want that. So we chose the doctor that we did. And then the next step is to have the lab look into your DNA because they have to know the exactly where to look within the embryo DNA to find this genetic mutation. But we had to provide our sample. So a sample from me, just like a cheek swab. So a cheek swab from me, cheek swab from Dave, and then a cheek swab from both sets of parents even. And they create the kind of like a map of where to look based off of where it is in our DNA and our parents' DNA. And they'll know where to look within our embryo DNA. And they have to do that very first before you can do anything because it could take a few months to to test out the to just map it. Yeah, just to map it. Mm-hmm. So then you found this doctor, you got swab, the map was created. Who gives you the green light? When do you get the green light? How do you know? Yeah, so you have to do a few tests with your doctor. For any IVF, you have to do a few tests first. They want to check all your hormones, just make sure that if they were to put something in that it would implant, no hormones are going to mess with it. They do a few other tests to check your uterus, like the size and where it is so that when they do put an embryo in there, they know exactly where to put it. And then we did that while the lab was working on everything. And then the lab will email you and your doctor and they'll say, okay, we're all set to go. And then you can talk to your doctor about all the scheduling and everything that goes into in vitro. And how many months from the time you found out that you're both carriers to the time that you were ready? So you'd found the doctors, the lab had mapped and all of that. It had probably been about nine months is what I would say. But part of that was that we didn't have the funds. We had to figure out because the mapping alone was a few grand and you couldn't break it up. It was literally like, nope, you just have to pay us. And it's like, oh, <laughs> okay. Well, we had to kind of figure all of that out. So you had to sit back and have a financial plan for how you're going to do it. So were those like a few months of just eating lots of cereal? Ramen or whatever. Yeah. 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 Or how? Yeah. And you know what? Like I've said before, I'm a religious person and I feel like the Lord had so many angels help us. And we had shared our sob story with a few people and there were a few people who gave us loans, which was really nice and totally unexpected and we didn't ask for it and they just were like here let us help out and that was really great so the nine months comes Mm -hmm. 
And then you have to prepare your body essentially yeah. right, for IVF. And does that mean that you do an extraction right away or? Yeah. Okay. So the way that it works is you have a period and on the first full day of your period, at least this is how my doctor does it. I've talked to other people who've done fertility treatments. Each doctor varies a little bit, but for the most part, it's relatively the same. So I call my doctor or email my doctor on the first full day of a period and she emails me a schedule of how things will lay out. And so you go on birth control for 10 to 14 days and then you stop birth control. And what that does is that makes it so that basically it puts the doctor in charge of your period because that makes it or in charge of your cycle because that makes it so that you don't ovulate next time because they want to be the one telling your body when to ovulate. So you go on birth control for 10 to 14 days. You go off it for a day or two. Sometimes you have bleeding, sometimes not. And then you start all the hormones and they tell you exactly what to do, exactly when. It has to be all at the same time of day because you're telling your body, like giving it that supplement Trigger. that it needs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so that's when you start all the belly shots you hear a lot of people talk about. The needles are relatively small. They're like insulin needles, so they're not terrible, but it just makes your body feel terrible. And you do that for about two weeks. You're seeing your doctor about every other day, every three days, and they're just measuring things. It's like giving your body the normal hormones that it has to the max because they want you to create a ton of eggs that they can go in and extract. And then you go in for the egg retrieval. And what that is, they put you to sleep because they just go in with this huge needle into your vagina. And with an ultrasound, they can target the exact egg that they want and they just suck it out. I mean, that doesn't sound very pretty, but it's not very pretty. Yeah, you feel really crummy. Your, your ovaries get about the size of water balloons. You have to like stop exercise because they could like flip and die because they're so big. You just feel really uncomfortable. Wow, what's happening to me? <laughs> you just feel like a crazy person. I don't know. And then, then while they're sucking your eggs out, again, not beautiful, but, you know, while they're sucking your eggs out, your partner is preparing his sample. Just a side note, so funny. The first time we did a cycle, which is the whole preparation, you know, and the retrieval is called the cycle. So the first cycle that we did... My husband, Dave, goes into the room to participate mm -hmm. in his contribution. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And he just was dying laughing. And I remember they, so they put me under anesthesia. I'm like sleeping. And I remember waking up and he's like, you would never believe it. There's porn on the walls. <laughs> like, he's like, everything you, you see of that they make fun of TV shows. No, it's real. <laughs> like, he was just cracking up. So anyways, they take your eggs and his sperm and they put it together. They, ours, they have to do something called Ipsy, I-P-S-I. And it's literally when they take one of his sperm and help it go into one of my eggs. And not everybody has to do that. That's just what we have to do because of why we have to do mm -hmm. IVF. And then they let it grow for five days, the embryo. Once it's grown for five days, they extract that little tiny sample from each of the embryos that's still left and they send it off to the lab. And then right away they freeze their embryos that are left while we wait for the results from the lab. Because of the nature of your reason for doing IVF, are the chances for someone like you and Dave to have many viable fertilized embryo higher than what it might be for a couple who may actually have fertility issues. 
I would say yeah. And some of the biggest advice when I tell people, because I am very open that we do in vitro. And so I get lots of other ladies who want to talk to me about it because they're having problems or they need to think about it. And one of the biggest things that I always tell them is don't ask people their numbers because sometimes it's really high. And I think a lot of it depends on the doctor. Some doctors really pump you full of hormones. And then a lot of times that can make your body react poorly later to it. Like once they've taken all the eggs out, then that's like a huge decrease in hormones and your body can react really badly to it. Our doctor was really middle of the road. We always got middle teens. Then this is sent off to the lab. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we wait until we hear. Once we hear back and we know which ones to use and which ones to avoid using, I guess. We're happy using anybody who is a carrier or obviously completely CF free. Mm -hmm. And we try to avoid those that are obviously carriers of CF because otherwise why would we have done it? Then what's next is called the transfer. So in vitro is like two stages, egg retrieval and then transfer. So the transfer, uh, the hormones are tougher. So you take lots of like estrogen and lots of progesterone and there's a few different ways to do it. But the way that my doctor always does it is that you take estrogen pills and it maxes out at three a day and it has to be at the same time every day. So I have tons of reminders on my phone and stuff you do a progesterone shot every night. And obviously it builds up just like your body would naturally build hormones the closer you are to the end of your cycle, the more hormones that you have. Then you don't get pregnant. You don't have hormones anymore. So your body sheds the line. So you add in your hormones according to what your doctor tells you to do. You max out at three estrogen one progesterone and oil shot. And then my doctor always does a progesterone suppository in the vagina. The progesterone and oil shots are the hard one. Those are the one that everybody always talks about. And this is all to prepare your body for implantation. Yeah. So on your ovary, when an egg is getting ready to go, it creates a little bubble. And then a bubble bursts and your egg comes out into your fallopian tube where it gets fertilized. Then it goes into your uterus where it implants. That little bursted bubble stays open and secretes all your hormones. Okay, so once you get pregnant, then that's like, hey, I'm pregnant and it's going to secrete all the hormones that your body needs because for a while your embryo, it doesn't have a placenta. There's no placenta feeding into it. So that hormone is going to help it along with an egg sac, which is in with the embryo. Well, I wouldn't. Ovulate. any of that. I yeah. wouldn't ovulate mm-hmm. because they don't want you to. They go and suck your eggs out. So I don't have that burst open, which is why you have to take all of the shots and the pills because you don't have your body preparing. Yeah. How did this process affect Dave? So what was going on for him <laughs> watching you go through all of yeah. these? Oh, you're so sweet to ask that. Most people are like, how did you feel? And I'm like, horrible. Dave is amazing. It's hard for him, I think, because it's not fun. It's lengthy. I used to have him help me with the shots, and we both just joke that it was just so bad for our marriage because (laughs) because I was always crying or getting mad at him. It's too fast. It's too hard. It's too slow. You're taking too long. Why aren't you just doing it? Why'd you stab me too hard? I finally just started doing it all myself because it was just too much for the both of us to have him help. And you'd had him... You wanted him to help because you wanted him to be part of it in a way or involved. So the progesterone in oil, that's the one you hear about. It's really awful. And the oil is really thick. So it goes in really slow. 
And that's the shot in the back of the hip. It has to go into the muscle. The needle is bigger because it's oil and it's thick, so it has to have a big needle. And the needle is longer because it has to go into the muscle. So it's about an inch and a half needle. It's very daunting. And it's back here by my bum. So it's just easier for him if I'm, you know, standing and he can try and do it himself. But it just wasn't easier. <laughs> yeah. And you had to learn how to do yeah, that. Yeah. So on I your just own. like sucked it up and just had to start doing it. But it was better for me. I feel like I could anticipate it better. It was like the anticipation was killing me. I'm like, have you done it yet? Have you done it yet? You know? <laughs> and so finally, once I just was like, oh, I'm just going to do it, it made it a little easier on everybody. So that's one cycle, one process you've just yeah. described for us. Yeah. This, what so, it would take to get to that one implantation potentially. Yeah. And how many times did you have to go through this for Maxwell? For Maxwell, we went through it twice, but we didn't have to go through the whole retrieval again because we had embryos. So we went through a re retrieval and then we had embryos. So we went through a transfer and the transfer is hard because the medication is really tough. And that's the one that makes you feel really kind of crazy. And you do the transfer and they put it into the uterus, the little embryo in the uterus, and you cross your fingers and pray and hope that it takes. And then you have to wait 10 to 14 days before you find out. And in the meantime, you're doing all these shots. And the best way to describe how I feel when I'm doing the shots, you know, when you're like five weeks pregnant. And so you know, you're pregnant. Typically, if you're trying, you would know by then but you don't feel like all the way sick yet. Like it hasn't really sunk in, but you just feel really crummy. Like that's how you feel in all these hormones, regardless of you're pregnant or not. And so you just pray and hope that something has stuck. Is this how, is this what you mean when you say that you felt crazy? It's that you're up, you're down, you're yeah. all over the place. So you really just emotionally, you feel really crazy because of the hormones, but also just, you're just, I just want to be pregnant. I would feel nauseous. Even though I wasn't pregnant, I would feel headaches sometimes even though I wasn't pregnant. You're just really tired because you're having all that estrogen. Extra estrogen makes you really tired and you just feel like a wild woman. My conversation with Kate continues after the break. And I said, okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's fine. And he just put his hand on my knee and said, it's not fine. I'm really sorry. Preconceived is brought to you by Medinatura. If you've ever taken medication for pain, you know that there can be a range of side effects. Medinatura gives millions relief without the side effects of conventional medicines. When I got seriously injured a few years ago, one over-the-counter muscle pain product gave me instant relief. Tea Relief, made from arnica, plant-based pain relievers in a cream of organic oils and organic shea butter, contains no dyes or perfumes. Medinatura products like Tea Relief, WellMind, Clear Life, and Reboost can be purchased on Amazon, Whole Foods, or Sprouts. Use code MIRACLE to receive 25% off your order on medinatura.com. Hi listeners, before we get back to the rest of this episode, we remind you that every share, rate, and review makes a difference. It keeps us connected to you and tells us what stories to bring you next. Share, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. So then you go through this process, you went through it once. How did it feel to find out that it didn't take? It was devastating. 
And we had what they called a chemical pregnancy. So anybody who usually like miscarries around six weeks is typically what they call a chemical pregnancy. So it means that something did in fact attach to the uterus. And so your body has started to make the HGC hormone. But then pretty much right away, something wasn't right. And so right away, it just stops growing. But your body hasn't like caught up with the fact that it hasn't had more. So we went in for the blood test. You go in for a blood test at about 10 or 14 days, wherever your clinic decides to do. They called us and they're like, you're pregnant, but it doesn't look good. Like your hormones are really low. It's not looking great. But keep on the meds for a few days. So... We stayed on for a few more days, did another blood test, and they're like, oh, it should have really spiked up by now, and there's nothing, so you need to just stop, and you'll probably bleed in about a week. And that's what happened, and it was, yeah, it was really sad. And at that point, I had told my doctor, I was like, we are out of funds. And she was super nice, and we only had to pay for the medication. And that time, we transferred two and got pregnant with twins, which was wonderful. And then at like 10, 11 weeks, we lost one. It was sad, but I just kept asking him, like, but the one is good. The one is good. The one is good. And they said, yeah, the one is good. And I would say it was sad. There's no signs of it because the body's still pregnant. There's no bleeding or anything. And so the one just slowly dwindles away. I would say the other one, the traces were gone by probably about 20, 25 weeks. There was no trace of it anymore. So, but then we got Maxwell. How did your doctor walk you through knowing that you have a twin and then kind of this body that's deteriorating essentially inside of you? Like, what was that process like of going there and finding out? By that point, so you go every week. Once you find out you're pregnant, you go to your reproductive endocrinologist every week until about 11 weeks. And then you go over to a regular OB. And so we found out actually at our new appointment, our first appointment with a regular OB, He was wonderful. And right away, as soon as he put the ultrasound on, I was like, oh, that doesn't look right. And that's when I was like, but the other one's okay. And they're like, yeah, the other one's okay. And I said, okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's fine. And he just put his hand on my knee and said, it's not fine. I'm really sorry. It was nice of him to take that time and kind of slow down and let me know, hey, It's not fine. You know, you just lost this baby. And he knew we had just had a consult. So he knew that we'd done IVF, which does sometimes make it feel a little sadder. You know, when you go through the grieving process, when anybody does, it's so important to actually go through the grieving process. And and when people go through hard times, people around them, I think, want to brush over what's happening or we are trained ourselves to just get over it. Mm -hmm. And so I love that your doctor wanted you to even pause for a second and just say, this sucks. (laughs) And it's okay to be sad about it for as long as you need. And I think in a way that allows you to celebrate Maxwell more freely. So that sadness lingered, I imagine, for a while. Or were you able to... I think what was the saddest for me is watching my family dwindle. We had six embryos at the start and we used one of them, or I mean three of them, and I was only pregnant with one. I feel like I didn't grieve that specific baby. I just grieved another embryo gone. What does that mean for me? So we only had three left. Chances are we're only going to get one out of the three that are left. When you and Dave got married, how many did you want to have originally? We talked about like four or five. 
Was there any moment during this process where you compared your experience to those who are maybe having more conventional pregnancy experiences and then thinking, not so much, why did I choose this, but more like, why did we have to both be carriers? Did that ever come up for you? Yeah, I think, but not too much, though. I knew we would have children, so I feel like I didn't have too much of that. I mean, sometimes we joke of like, oh, would that be nice? Just like a night on the town, you know, <laughs> results in a baby. You know, we joke about that. But I've been really blessed of I knew that we would have kids, whereas I can see other couples who struggle with a different type of infertility where you're just like, I hope we can have kids. I'm praying. I'm doing everything. And then I could see how it is hard to then watch other people, whereas I felt very confident that we would have children. There are times where it's like, that would have been nice, but this is what we were dealt. It sounds like you both handled it really well, just the whole process, and you accepted everything that went along with it. Was there support that you sought after? Did you feel like you related to other moms who were going through a different form of IVF, maybe a more common reason for having IVF? I feel like when I first found out that we'd have to do IVF, it was like less talked about, I think. I think that this is a topic that's boomed in the last just few years even. And even I was pretty quiet about it. I'm not a quiet person in general, and I'm not a really private person in general. I'm like thrilled to talk to people about <laughs> private things. I don't know. It doesn't bother me, but it bothers Dave. And I remember when we first found out, I remember saying something like, oh, do we tell people? <laughs> He's cha since changed his mind, but he, he was like, I don't want to be that couple where that is like our thing. And I was like, okay. So I didn't really talk about it. I only knew only my sister-in-law. I mean, I had heard other people go through IVF, but personally, I only knew my sister-in-law because she's the one that had talked to me about it. You know, and I'm sure there's a million other couples that I know who have had to go through all sorts of fertility treatments, but it just wasn't wasn't quite talked about. And and even still, it's when I talk about it that people come to me to talk about it. I don't think it's because it's taboo. I think it's because it's so personal and it, it's really heartbreaking for people. You know, I had one person who even said, I want to talk to you. I want to know your experience because we're having problems, but I can't talk about it yet. It's so deeply painful. It can yes. be for those going through it. The idea of exposing that wound multiplies the pain. People feel like failures or people feel like it's my fault or it's his fault or people don't have the money. People really don't know, you know, am I ever going to have children? I want children so bad and I'm not sure we're ever going to get it. And that's hard. That's hard to talk about. So you had Maxwell. Mm -hmm. Then you knew you wanted more children. Yes. When did you start having that conversation and what did that look like? Yes. Did you go back to the same doctor? Same doctor mm -hmm. because we love her. I adore her so much. She was an OB, mother of three, went back to school so that she could be more trained in fertility and those types of things. Anyways, we love her. She's wonderful. So we went back to the same doctor when Maxwell was only like 14 months old, 15 maybe. We thought it would be like a breeze. Like, we thought it'd be so easy. We already have the embryos. They're already tested. It's going to be super easy. And it was not easy. 
define not easy second time around? Yeah, so we started all the meds. We had to do a little bit of the testing again just because they the uterus grows a little bit with each pregnancy, so they have to like measure it out again, and they want to check the hormones again, make sure that if they put an embryo, it has a chance to survive or those types of things. So, But that's easy. So then we did the transfer of a frozen embryo that we had, just one, and I was convinced it was going to work. Like I was convinced. And since being pregnant, I knew what it felt like to be pregnant. I could have sworn I was pregnant. Oh, it was going to work. It was going to work. I did an at-home pregnancy test the morning that I was going to do the blood test at the clinic. I just wanted to know in advance. I didn't want there to be any surprises. There's a lot of people say not to do that, but I know it's not 100%, but it just gives me a heads up. And it was negative. And I cried that morning like I've never cried in my life because I just, I was convinced. And there again, I'm seeing our family dwindle down. And yeah, I went for the blood test and sure enough, it was negative. And when it's negative, you have to wait another cycle so your body can regulate itself again. And then each transfer takes about six weeks from start to finish. And then there was like a month of waiting for my body to regulate and then another like six weeks. And we only had two embryos left and they're graded according to how they develop and how they look. These two were very low grade. And and when we went in, the doctor told us that one of them didn't revive after the freezing. So we were really down to one. And I just was like, it's not going to work. And it didn't. Then we were stuck at a point. It's like, oh, do we really restart? And and how old was Maxwell at this point? He was almost two. Okay. So he'd started the conversation at 15 months. Yeah. And he was pushing. He was pushing on two years old. Yeah. Okay. We took like a two, three-month break in the summer because I have a summer job. And I just needed a break. I was tired of being poked and prodded and I was so sad and I knew we would do the cycle again, but I had to just get that into my mind that we were doing it again. And I was not optimistic about it. So we started the cycle again in September when Maxwell had just turned two. It was way more successful than the first one, which was shocking to me. And this time we did, along with the pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, we also did pre-implantation genetic screening. So what that one is, is it looks at not only at the DNA that we told them to look at, but it also looks at the chromosomes. And that way they can weed out any embryos that are chromosomally abnormal. So like an embryo that would miscarry anyways. So we could just weed it out. Because it had happened to you. Yeah. And we should have done it the first time and we didn't really think about it and we thought everything would be fine and we only got one out of six. Not super great odds. So this time we ended up with six embryos that everything looked great. On the first transfer, we got Scarlet. So there you go. We still have the five. And we still have five. If I want to keep poking myself in the butt. <laughs> I could get more. Here's your chance. <laughs> Can't wait. Yeah. But I just, it was really tough. It was really tough. And the progesterone shots are really terrible. And you bruise and you get lumps in your backside, like quarter size lumps because the oil just sits there. One time I shot myself in a weird spot so that my leg tingled for like a few days. Or sometimes you give yourself a shot where your pant line is. So then it like hurts under your jeans. It's just not fun. And you have to do the shots every single day until you're 11 weeks pregnant. 
every single day. Yeah, all of the medication is continued until you're 11 weeks pregnant. Did you feel at some point that this is just too much? Yeah. Yeah. And I would say now even, like, I very much want more children. But sometimes I'm. it's too much. It's too much. If you had a billion dollars, mm-hmm. would you hire a surrogate? No. I have thought about that. But I love being pregnant. So if I'm going to do it, like, I'm going to do it, you know? Do you know why they need the oil? Why is that oil necessary? I think... It's because it's slow releasing. They need something that's slow releasing and that oil takes longer to absorb into body, which is why you also have to put it into the muscle. Versus if you were to just do it in the fat like the other ones are just in the belly flat fat. So the moment you found out that you were pregnant, mm-hmm. what was that moment like? Mm. It was so sweet. And actually with Scarlett, I actually videoed it. Because, again, I took a pregnancy test. When I figured out I had to do another cycle for Scarlett, I was like, I'm going to make this useful then. And I videoed a ton. I would video me doing shots. Every time I got a new schedule, I would go through on video, here's what this schedule means. And then after a few days, I'd be like, here's how I'm feeling. And one day I can edit all those videos and send it to people. That's my goal is to send it to people who have questions about everything. So you didn't post them at the time? I didn't because... it's just too vulnerable, you know, with Scarlett. And it just, it was at that point, it had been over a year of doctor's appointments and shots and transfers and cycles and all sorts of things. I just started crying. And I remember that I took it and Dave was on the bed and I just was like, I don't even want to look. And I even said, I was like, let's just throw it away and not look. And of course I couldn't actually do that. And I just looked and I just, I immediately started crying, and it was just such a sweet moment, and we knew it was going to be a girl (laughs) because, you know, (laughs) the upsides of testing, you know, and that was a sweet moment and just something that, you know, how it is to just fight for something, and I knew I was going to get it. I just didn't anticipate all of it. Our story is shorter than a lot of people, and still it just, oh, I'll never forget that. So of those six great eggs Mm -hmm. of the second batch, Mm -hmm. how many were girls? How many were boys? It was 50-50. I was shocked. Yeah. I was especially shocked because on my in-law side, she is the first granddaughter. And my mother-in-law has no daughters, no sisters. And my husband has, on one side of the family, only one girl cousin. I was shocked to see that it was even 50-50. So next time around, presuming you'll Mm -hmm. go through it, do you have a thought of boy or girl? Dave wants a boy again because he thought that was really fun. And he's like, well, we just had a girl, so we should try for a boy. It doesn't matter to me. I do know that the girl embryos are non-carriers at all. So that's tempting to me because then it could avoid the continuation of the CF gene. Mm. for posterity. Yeah, so that my daughters would have to do it again because Scarlett's not a carrier either. Maxwell is, though. You can live just fine. I don't have cystic fibrosis, but it just means, you know, we always joke that as soon as Maxwell goes on a third date, we're going to cheek squab. Wouldn't it be amazing if 
you can get to a point where you it could end in your generation or your children's generation. Yeah, that would be marvelous, wonderful. Yeah, I wonder too if this, there's like a metaphor here for a lot of things that families go through that may be generational. I just learned about multi-generational trauma that sometimes mm-hmm. if an earlier generation goes through a particularly traumatic event, it passes on to later generations just through the way parents interact with their kids or their own behavior, maybe things that they don't think they're doing. So what would you tell women who know that they're carriers or know that they want to go through this process or even people who don't know they're carriers because it feels like it's all luck of the draw? Like, Would you recommend this type of testing for all couples? Yeah, there is a super easy genetic testing that you can do and it will test over a hundred different genetic diseases and then you can know right away. I think that a lot of people don't know that this is an option for them that if you are a carrier that you have options you don't have to like chance it you can have children if you want to go through this. Like I said I I would hate to have a child suffer for their whole life just because I wanted to do it the easy way. That's how I feel. For women, women who are going through IVF for reasons other than what you did it for, what would you say to these women who are getting those shots, who are getting that bad news? You went through all of that in a different way. So it's the exact same process with just like an extra step in the middle. But other than that, my IVF is the exact same as somebody's IVF who has PCOS or something. I feel like the biggest thing that I learned through all of this is that when somebody has a trial that you haven't been through, so you maybe can't understand it fully, the biggest thing to say to them is just like, that sucks. I'm really sorry. When somebody comes to talk to me about it, I just try to be really sympathetic because I can guarantee that somebody has said something really stupid to them. (laughs) Oh, I had somebody that I opened up to about it and they said, oh, it took us a long time too. Not the same that it took you like a year to get pregnant, which is a long time when you really naturally? want it. You mean just it, naturally. Oh, it took them a year yeah, to get pregnant Yeah, and I'm naturally. just like, okay, <laughs> not the same thing. And then um, something that I get, especially from the older generation, that I get a lot is, oh, I knew somebody who had to do that, and then all the rest of their kids were just normal, natural. And I'm like, that's a nice idea, but, I mean, for us, that's not going to happen And we don't want that to happen. You know, we're trying to avoid getting pregnant normally, you know. So the biggest thing that I say to somebody who opens up about it is just that sucks. I'm so sorry that you have to go through this. And I honestly do feel like I wish that I could go through it for them. I don't want them to go through it because it is hard and it is so personal. And you know how it feels to want something so bad and you can't get it even though you're trying so hard. Um, The other thing is that, yeah, I would say don't ask numbers. (laughs) Just be happy with the numbers that you have, you know, because they might be good and somebody's might be bad or yours might be bad and somebody's might be good. Yeah, lastly, endure because the chances are that through IVF, you probably will get a baby. Just stick with it. Do you ever get terrified that you would get pregnant naturally? Yes. It's weird too because... When I'm in a point when I want a baby and then a period would come, I'd be relieved but also like sad. You know, it's such a weird feeling because it's like, oh, I'm not pregnant, which I knew I wouldn't be pregnant because I am on birth control. But also, oh, thank goodness I'm not pregnant. 
because that would ho- open a whole nother set of tests, but on my fetus, which is scary. And then what if they are sick? That opens a whole life of, it's good life, but lots of struggles come along with it. Yeah. As you witnessed yeah. yourself or your Yeah, my nephew. nephew. And I mean, he still, he takes like five different medications every day. They have, he has to do a treatment every morning for a half hour, every night for a half hour. He has to go to the doctor all the time, you know, just stuff like that. It's not something where it's just, you deal with it until a diagnosis. No, you deal with it until you're passed on. And Scarlett and Maxwell, what are you going to tell them about the process of having them come into your life? Maxwell is a curious boy and he's a smart boy. And so he always He'll say something like, oh, yeah, babies or something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Dr. Evans made you. We always <laughs> joke about that. Yeah, I, I'll just be honest with them that they're a Petri dish baby. And uh, I have no shame in it. It's great. And it's a super great tool that gave me healthy children. Like, what an amazing blessing. And the fact that, like I said, I just get nervous to bring it up sometimes and who I bring it up to. I have had people ask me, silly things like but you're just making sure they're healthy right like you're not picking other traits no that doesn't matter to me I just want them to be healthy I'll just tell them normal people have sex and we went to the doctor Kate and I spoke in the fall of 2019 as fate would have it she became pregnant without IVF in 2020 she gave birth to a girl in early January her daughter tested negative for cystic fibrosis. On our next episode, I speak with Heidi. I've never had any difficulties getting pregnant, being pregnant, delivering. Why not? Why not help somebody that is having trouble? Preconceived, Stories of IVF and Surrogacy is developed and executive produced by Layla Jerusalem for Bridger Media in Los Angeles. The series is produced and mixed by Jason Sheesley. We'd like to thank Stephen Winston for his branding expertise and for naming our show, Nan Ray for designing our cover art, and John Raymond Fisher for lending his voiceover talent. <laughs>